Hey, peeps, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. All right, so now that that's out of the way, let's get into this. What is going on, crypto family? So today we got the co-founder and CEO of FIO with us. Pleasure to meet you, buddy. Hey, nice to meet you. Awesome, man. So tell us about yourself. When did you get into crypto and why? Uh, so I was a dot-com entrepreneur that became a venture capitalist. So I was a general partner of a venture fund for 11 years, and I jumped in the leader of blockchain investments and quickly saw that the space had a lot of similarities to the early days of the web in the sense that, on the one hand, it was uh, had the potential to be amazingly disruptive and game-changing. On the other hand, quite honestly, the technology from a user standpoint sucked. Um, yeah. Horrible user experience and started exploring ways to fix that. Couldn't find uh, solutions that I believe really would do that. The genesis of that was the ideas behind what is now the FIO protocol. And uh, we incubated the company and I decided to jump in and go back to my roots and run it. Um, and we've been doing that now for over a year with 28 industry partners and uh, backers like Binance and Blockwall Capital and Blue Next Ventures, NGC and others. That's all, all right, cool. Yeah. Never heard of any of those guys, but uh, awesome. Never heard of Binance. No, who's Binance? CZ, <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> of course, man. So you come from the VC world, and then you went to the helm of running FIO, right? So in the VC world, what'd you do, man? What's some of the stuff that you invested in there? And yeah, why, so why would you leave? I mean, I, I get it. You're saying you see that this is kind of like, you know, the early dot-coms, but why would you leave that to come here? So I was originally an entrepreneur. I, I built and ran a dot-com, raised $25 million in venture capital during those days, and so became a VC after what that. What was that dot-com? Um, a company called ProSavvy, a B2B e-procurement company. So it was a marketplace for buying and selling professional services. Cool. Uh, made it through the crash, got profitable, had an M&A event. So uh, it was a successful outcome for, for that happy. period. Yeah. Um, so uh, really it came down to this is a game-changing opportunity. What we're doing here is a big idea. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal, which is to do for blockchain what HTTP did for the internet. People forget, a lot of people don't even know, that the internet was around for over 10 years before the vast majority of people even started to hear about it. And the, sure. one of the key things that caused that to happen was a usability protocol called Hypertext Transport Protocol that made using the internet much, much more easy than it is today. That at the high level is our goal. The details of what we're doing are very different from HTTP, sure. but that's the objective of what we're doing. Yeah, it seems like in the early days, the internet was for, for porn and for, you know, I guess illicit activities of sorts, right? And so that's kind of what crypto has been branded as, you know, recently, especially with all the different setbacks we've had over the past week with Bag and Tron, or I guess Telegram and then Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So we're seeing some of that. We see the government come out and say, you know, blockchain is good. Bitcoin bad, all that kind of stuff. So with what you guys are doing, how does that help? How does that do the HTTPS, right? So you've got um, lots of different wallet addresses out there, right? So like your 0x for Ethereum. And then with what you guys are, I guess, you know, saying you're gonna do, how does that help people with multiple different currencies sending it to one address? Yeah, so uh, for users who are actually holding crypto in decentralized wallets, the process of moving value in a decentralized fashion is not user-friendly. It's typically, people describe it as scary, nerve-wracking, uh, complex, etc. Most people have had problems one or more times when they tried to send or receive crypto because of the process. 
with the f initial field protocol, that experience will change to one of where users can not ever see or even know that they have public addresses. Instead, they have a human readable address that they can use. Uh, and the ability not just to send, but the ability to send requests for payments in a completely decentralized way. The ability for one party to request a payment from another, which is the way that most commerce starts. Think like invoices, invoices, bills, checks, etc. cetera. Uh, I can send a request for payment to another wallet for a certain type of crypto, a certain amount of crypto, and I can include information, metadata, a note, an order card, a, an invoice details along with that. A receiver receives that in their wallet. They see they have a request. They can see who it's from with the human readable address. They can see what it's for with the data, and they can confirm or decline that in their wallet. So it completely changes the experience of moving decentralized value around and makes it very user-friendly, easy, much less risky, and it also eliminates a key hacking risk that exists out there today, which is growing, uh, which is man-in-the-middle attacks on public addresses. Today, in order to send crypto, I have to get the pub my public address to the counterparty some way. That is typically done through unsecure means, and more and more you're starting to see viruses crop up that look for those addresses. All they have to do is swap them out, and all of a sudden that person's sending crypto to a bad guy instead of the person it was intended for. So our, our solution also solves that. Gotcha, so with Theo, give me an example of like what the domain would look like. Yeah, so it's a concept that people understand, a username and a domain, like an email address, username, domain. Uh, it's like we, Beatles dot. Except we use a delimiter of a colon instead of a dot, and we All do right. that to differentiate it from email and web addresses, because it's neither of those, it is a wallet address. Gotcha. Um, so it's a username with a colon, and then a uh, domain. Where would the domain be? Uh, the domain can either be the domain of your wallet, so think Gmail, Hotmail type okay. email address. Uh, most people, that's what they'll get. They'll just put a username on their wallet's domain. Most people have email addresses on Gmail, Hotmail, etc. Sure. Then some people and then businesses will register their own domains. Right. Domains are non-fungible tokens. You own them, you can transfer them. Uh, you can use them with as many usernames as you want. You can allow others to register usernames on them, etc. Gotcha. So for the diehard crypto guys, right? Obviously, centralized services are you know what's getting most of the traction in transactions. Um, with Fio, you're saying it's decentralized. 100% decentralized. So how do I generate a wallet then? Yeah, so you don't generate a wallet. FIO integrates. FIO stands for the Foundation for Interwallet Operability. We have 28 wallets, exchanges, crypto payment processors that have already uh, signed up to become FIO members and back the protocol and, and integrate it. A number of them are already doing initial FIO integrations through our FIO address presale at addresses.fio.foundation. Um, and so it integrates with the wallets in the same way HTTP integrates with web browsers. Users use the FIO functionality through the wallet of their choice that's integrated that capability, um, and they go in and they register a FIO address inside of their wallet. It's that simple. When they register that FIO address for the technical people out there, what's happening behind the scenes is their wallet is generating a FIO, FIO private public key pair. Their wallet holds the FIO private key. That private key is what controls all and secures all their interaction with the FIO protocol. Gotcha, and then for what cryptos does this work with? It works immediately and identically for every single blockchain and crypto out there today and so any in the future. So I can send Neo to it, I can send Tron to it, I can send Bitcoin 100%. to it, because Monero. Anything, because FIO doesn't integrate with the blockchains. Technically speaking, the individual blockchain protocols don't even know the FIO protocol exists. When a transaction occurs, they're getting a signed transaction from a wallet like Monarch for sending Bitcoin or ETH or whatever. It's being signed by the private key that's in the Monarch wallet in the same way it was all the time. What, ha what changed 
was the workflow messaging communication that led up to that transaction, and in the future, FIO will also do some things after the transaction. So that's what FIO is. It's a service layer that handles all of the workflow around the sending of value. Today, we have nothing that handles that because to do that, you have to have a standard that different wallets both adopt. Otherwise, they have to go down to the lowest common denominator, which is what the underlying blockchain provides, which is simply send with a public address. That's what you've got, sure. and that's it. Gotcha, and then for people that integrate FIO to their wallets, right? What if that wallet doesn't support the crypto? So how would the person know that? Say for instance, you know, I sent it to one of the wallets out there, I sent Monero to it. I use the FIO protocol, it goes to that wallet, but that wallet doesn't support the currency, then what? Yeah, so if I was trying to do that, uh, the FIO protocol would actually tell you that that user doesn't uh, interact or support with that token or coin, because it would be able to tell that when it goes out to the FIO blockchain with that other party's FIO address, there would be no corresponding uh, encrypted public address for that particular chain, <laughs> and so it would return to the, the API would return to the user's wallet a message saying that user doesn't support Bitcoin, which would be an unusual one, doesn't support Monero, maybe a better example, yeah. uh, or something like that. Yeah, interesting. Because like, automatically would know that. Okay, because like Binance, for instance, will allow people to send, like VeChain, you know, the, on their own chain, the new, the new coin, to like zero X addresses. So you would think that like Binance and people like that would make, you know, make it to where it would ping back and say, hey, look, you're sending it to a zero X address. This is a, a new coin. This is not, you know, Ethereum based. So you're saying that your protocol will basically know that before it hits the wallet or it gets sent? Because, you know, if, if we're using Binance to send a FIO, or we're, if we're using, you know, a FIO protocol through Binance, wouldn't yeah, so, that in turn still happen? So, so a couple things you asked there. Um, Yes, the, fee, you would, the, the, the user's wallet would be able to know that from the FIO blockchain right away, because if the other party's FIO address doesn't have a public address associated with the blockchain that I'm requesting funds for, it, the, my, it, it's the API is going to send back a message to my wallet, and, I, and it's going to give me a message telling me that. So that's how it would know it beforehand. When it comes to centralized exchanges, um, the place where the FIO protocol interacts with centralized exchanges is where tokens or coins are moved in or out of the exchange. Inside of the walled garden of a centralized exchange, the FIO protocol has no role. In the same way that back in the early days of the web, uh, the World Wide Web really had no role inside of the walled garden of AOL or Prodigy, right? They could control everything. Where the web played a role is at that punch out. Same, same thing. So uh, the FIO protocol only interfaces at the uh, part of centralized exchanges where tokens are moved in or out of the exchange. Gotcha. Cool, man. So what's the goal for FIO over the next couple of years? So uh, we'll be uh, launching our testnet here in the next several weeks. We'll be launching mainnet uh, in Q1 of next year. We're continuing to add uh, industry partners. Uh, our FIO address pre-sale, where people can pre-reserve their FIO address uh, and bid on domains, uh, is live at addresses.fio.foundation. Uh, and we expect to have that mainnet launch next year. And at that point, there'll be a number of wallets. Uh, our partners include Binance's Trust Wallet, uh, Coinomi, Shapeshift, uh, MyCrypto, uh, Edge Wallet, uh, Bitcoin.com, and a whole bunch of others. Uh, many of those will be live with their FIO and full FIO integrations very close to mainnet launch. That's the path that they're on. Uh, so the protocol will be able to be used uh, fairly quickly after mainnet launch by users. Interesting, because those same wallets have also partnered with people like Unstoppable Domains, right? Yep. So how 
are the users going to keep from getting confused like crazy, right? So am I using feel? Am I using unstoppable? You know, and what's the difference between like feel and unstoppable? Yeah, and so uh, unstoppable is just a naming system, uh, and it's an unsecure one uh, in the sense that it it maps the public addresses and open text uh, to the human readable ones, and that creates big privacy issues. So you can actually see it right there at the you top of the screen of the, the browser. You go to the well, you go to the blockchain and you could see it uh, where, because they're just publishing. Here's your unstoppable domain and here's your public addresses for these different chains, and you can just see it. And Netfeo doesn't do that unless the user wants it to do that. Um, Feo has unique encryption that it uses, so only counterparties in a transaction can see that. Uh, and Unstoppable is just names. Feo is is much more than just names. It is an entire workflow layer. Uh, the ability to send requests for payments, the ability to have cross-chain metadata that works identically. In the future, the ability to have the concept of recurring payments, the ability to route multi-signature requests on different chains in an identical way. There's no decentralized, secure way to do those things. All of these things and more are in the roadmap for Feo. It goes way beyond just names. Um, things like Unstoppable are just names, uh, and they kind of conflate the concept of wallet names with uh, web address domains, sure. uh, those are very different problems. Um, web domains need to be open text because anybody needs to be able to go to a website and be able to resolve that web address for a DNS. Uh, that's not true with wallet addresses. You, there's lots of reasons why you don't want just anybody to be able to, in the world to be able to resolve a wallet address uh, and why there's privacy issues around that. Um, so those are really two different issues and FIO is very much focused on workflow and usability for moving decentralized value around, um, which wallet names is a piece of that, but it's much, much bigger than that. Cool, man. Favorite movie? Favorite movie, probably The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, Yeah, really? probably, yeah. Cool. You watch uh, a lot of Bruce Willis movies? Or? I've watched most of his movies, yeah. That was probably one of the better ones because it wasn't just an action, you know, beat up sort of, uh, you know, it sort of movie. It had a cool story behind it. Yeah, also a pretty trippy ending for people that haven't seen it, so. Yeah, yeah I cool. imagine lots of people have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Favorite book? Favorite book would probably have to be The Hobbit. The Hobbit? Yeah, I'd have to go back to Token. <laughs> Awesome, man. And then I guess if you're president of the world for a day, what would you change, man? Well, the president, unfortunately, can't change much in a day. Of the so. world, man. So imagine, imagine you're president of the world. You know, you've, you've got the magic wand. You can make anything happen that you want. You can make a Taco Tuesday every day. You know, you can, you can do anything you want. You know, the, the, the things that I think are most important would be things that, that you could do, in, and I'm not sure what you could do in a day, that promote individual liberty. I mean, individual liberty is under attack in this world um, in lots of places. Um, unfortunately, even in the United States, which was founded on the concept of individual liberty, I believe it's under attack here. The concept of individual liberty and privacy is, is sort of disappeared. Um, and that, that is, is the biggest things that I would strive to change. And you know, the, the, from that perspective, the world is, is going in a kind of a scary direction. And China, obviously, is growing in power. And they don't care about individual liberty at all, um, you know, not in the least bit. So that would yeah, be my biggest thing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I was just there. And it's, uh, it's amazing to see how much they've embraced technology, especially with you know currency, right? So things like Alipay and WePay and DashPay and stuff like that, they're already way ahead of the curve of us. Yep. You know, using you know electronic payments. So well, they their and their government loves that because of course they have their fingers in all, all those. Baby. They can track it all. They can control it. <laughs> oh, you're all. a bad actor. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. All the money go. Yeah, they just shut you off. So yeah. yeah. All right, last question, man. If you had a uh, time machine, you could go forward in time as far as you want, or back in time as far as you want, but you had to stay there. Couldn't leave. I had to stay there. No one would be in one. 
That's a great. That's a great question. Um, I had to stay there. That's a tough one because that means I'm leaving my family and friends permanently. <laughs> well, it depends. So my yeah. choice would probably be none of those because yeah. for a whole bunch of reasons. But uh, if I had to stay there, but if I absolutely had to stay there. You know, I'd probably go back in time because yeah. going back in time, I would have knowledge that others wouldn't have, and obviously there's advantages. Not information is power. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would probably I, yeah. the future is unknown and uncertain. I'd go back in time, maybe even to the dot com era, because I'd know what was going to happen or some other period of time. So you're placing and your bets. There you go. I yeah, know the outcome. I know the outcome. So That's awesome, uh, man. it was a pleasure being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks right. so much. Yeah, God bless. Catch thanks. you guys on the next one. Hey, peeps, just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beetle shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is a co-founder of the Monarch Wallet, host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. Please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the fam. All right. God bless you. Love you. Till the next one. Talk to you soon.